Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Hello again, brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome, The Remnant, to another podcast. And uh, thank you so much for sharing yesterday's. Um, Surprised me, actually, uh, how well that did. Um, But I do have a follow-up story to that podcast. And the title was, Is Quoting the Bible Now Hate Speech in America? Because we know it's hate speech in other countries. We know that. Uh, But in America now. Uh, as we did the story about John MacArthur's sermon, uh, quoting Genesis, and God made them male and female, and then being pulled off of YouTube because of that. So people are being punished, not yet imprisoned, for quoting the Bible and believing in the biblical worldview. So it's here, friends. It's not coming to America. It's not threatening our shores. It's here. Follow-up story, Harbinger's Daily. Mom takes legal action against teachers who persuaded 11-year-old daughter, she was a boy, calling it, her, the mom is calling it predatorial. A California mother whose sixth-grade daughter was allegedly recruited by teachers and encouraged to change her name to a boy's name while being told not to tell her mother is taking legal action against the school district. So these, I, I could go into that story but it's at harbingersdaily.com. Uh, Natasha Crane had to cancel. She is sick, and uh, she's getting over her uh, sickness, but she is rescheduled. When is that coming up in February? It's going to be February 24. That was the next available uh, date we could have gotten her back on, but she's got a book out, Faithfully Different. She's an apologist and an author, and it's talking about regaining biblical clarity in a secular culture. So make sure, if you want to check out Natasha Crane's book before we have her on the podcast and ask her about it and to to explain it in depth. It's going to be a great interview. I've got Scott Shera back with us today. Uh, this is a follow-up interview that just really, I think God worked out the timing. I was going to say it fell into our laps, but that's I, that's not a an accurate expression. God, I think, is working this out because he's trying to inform people and wake people up. As Christians, we need to test all things. And um, is very popular podcast a month ago when we had Scott in, and I'll introduce him in a minute. We're going to talk about the death of his daughter, Grace, how that happened, more revelations, and in an investigation that went on, um, the doctors, the hospital. But a couple of quick stories. One, Johnny Roberts and the Supremes are in the news again. This is confusing. In a 5-4 opinion, Republican-nominated Supreme Court justices, Chief Justice John Roberts, And Brett Kavanaugh joined the liberal wing, and that's putting it kindly, of the Supreme Court to allow President Biden's health care worker mandate to stand. Health care workers have to get shot. The shot. Um, It's confusing because as far as businesses, corporations with 100 or more employees, they were exempt, according to the Supreme Court, but health care workers... It, this it's a five four opinion, and it just came down apparently uh, yesterday. It's just really disappointing, but this is a reminder for us to pray for the Supreme Court. They are human beings. They are not people we should idolize or emulate. These are people who, yes, they worked hard. They went through law school and all that, and they were appointed by man, not by God. However, God is sovereign over who is sitting on the courts right now, who is heading up the courts. And there's some that need to be saved on the Supreme Court. Next, uh, interesting story, U.S. economy slows to near standstill as Omicron supply chain delays and inflation surge. Um, Unexpected. All of a sudden, economic growth in the U.S. slowed sharply in the early part of this year due to supply chain disruptions, high prices, labor shortages linked to the surge in COVID-19 infections. Yeah, the left is going to blame everything on a virus. They are. They are going to do that. That's their modus operandi. But this is according to data that was released uh, Monday, yesterday. And the numbers severely 
are um, undershooting expectations and signaling almost no growth, of course, in the economy and already tanked last year. So is this reflecting on the Biden administration? I would say no. Why? Because most media is not reporting it. Most media only reports negative economic news when there's a Republican in the White House. When there's a Democrat in the White House, they're covered by the lapdogs in and covered by the one-party big tech media conglomerate. So you're not going to hear the bad news necessarily. You might hear a few numbers here and there, but they're selective and they are uh, not accurate and not in context. Keep that in mind when you listen to the news. Again, go to our resources, standupforthetruth.com, upper left hand. Go to the word resources at the top, and that'll take you to a page of 200 resources you can trust. We even put them in alphabetical order for you. Finally, one more story real quick. Fatigue identified as major side effect of COVID overregulation. Let me say that again. Fatigue identified as major side effect of COVID overregulation. Now, I had COVID. It took me two months to get over. One of the major or lingering side effects that hit me the hardest possibly was fatigue. And lung issues and the migraine and the high fever. And I, it, uh, it jumped all over the place as far as symptoms in my personal experience. But fatigue, people have had crisis fatigue for two years. That's why we're going to talk about with today's guest, Scott Shera, we're going to talk about that, how people just are throwing up their arms. They don't want to go through the hassle of resisting, of fighting back, of fighting for the truth, of uh, coming against the mainstream uh, liberal Democrat Marxist media in America who are just trumpeting marching orders from the left. And I'm talking about Marxism in America and cultural Marxism here when it comes to the uh, hospital uh, system, the healthcare system, and we're going to talk about that. But I just found this is an interesting story over at Family Research Council, frc.org. You can read more about the uh, fatigue identified as a major side effect. People are just tired of COVID. It's not necessarily a physical symptom, but fatigue is a common symptom. It's a universal symptom of the ridiculous mask and vaccine mandates that have long outlived their prudence and propriety as people are trying to move on with their lives. So read that story. And when I say move on with their lives, don't think normal. There's no getting back to normal. What the heck is normal anyway in a country that has abandoned truth and abandoned God and has rejected uh, Jesus Christ and the Word of God and now calls it hate speech? What is normal when, what, uh, it's over 60 million babies have been slaughtered in the womb? What is normal in a country where a, a lot of uh, churches has, have conformed to the world and are lukewarm? Th- this is not something we want to do, go back to whatever you describe as normal. So we, we're in a new place now. We have to recognize that. Um, I want to bring in our guest now today, Scott Shera. He was with us a month ago. He's back with us with updates on his case. He's been doing just tireless research and investigating his own uh, case and information on how he could be the most accurate and helping you because you probably know someone who has gone through a disappointing experience at a hospital. You've, you've known someone who's been put on a ventilator, whether they needed it or not. So he's a Wisconsin man who, for our newer listeners who didn't hear the last podcast, we'll link to that in today's blog at StandUpForTheTruth.com. He experienced firsthand the controversial and deadly hospital treatment of his daughter, Grace, 19 years old, who also had COVID but died due to the combination of questionable medications administered by hospital staff due to their protocols, as well as the faulty decision to label Grace DNR, do not resuscitate. That was not the parent's will. That was not ever expressed by the family. We'll talk about that as well. Scott is here hoping to prevent more unnecessary deaths, to warn others, and to share what he has learned. Scott, Shara, welcome back to the studio, brother. Well, thanks for having me, David. All right. Thanks Thanks for putting up with the uh, lengthy introduction. We had to get through some uh, stories and updates. But you have compiled even more extensive information and research, everything from uh, questioning the healthcare system uh, and the love of money. Is money an issue when it comes to hospitals and how they treat people? What about the do not resuscitate order? What about the allocation of care? Um the, the decision matrix you put together and, and the decisions made, uh, in your case, for your daughter, 
Uh, you also put together a, a very fascinating and easy to understand um, graphic, the COVID protocol that kills. We'll go through that probably in the second segment. Also, medical malpractice, uh, the fact that doctors and hospitals are often immune from liability. We're going to talk about details. And the, this is a, probably state by state. Not every state is the same. We'll talk about that, what happened in Wisconsin. And the doctor and the hospital reviewed your case. We'll get to that. It was evaluated by a screening panel of uh, really people within the hospital. It was really government investigating government. And then we're going to end this podcast today answering the question, so what? What can we do? as freedom-loving Americans, as people who want to make our own health care decisions, or even as Bible-believing Christians in this time when so much is coming against us and we are experiencing medical tyranny and what I have referred to in some cases, communist policy in America uh, should never be this way, particularly when it comes to our health. So, Scott, let's, let's start with um, the basics of your case going back to last October because we have newer listeners now. So if you could just sum that up. I know we have a lot to get to, but let's, if you could sum up what happened, I'm sure you can put that in bullet points for us. Sure. Um, on October 6th, we went to the emergency room with Grace. She couldn't keep her oxygen level above 90. Uh, they encouraged us to admit her to the hospital. Um, that was on October 6th. October, I was with her as an advocate um, on October 10th, I was taken out by an armed guard. Uh, two days later, my daughter Jessica substituted as an advocate. My wife had COVID, so she couldn't be an advocate then. Hold, hold that right, right there. You've got to explain why you were taken out by an armed guard. <laughs> so you were in the hospital room being an advocate for your daughter, Grace, 19 years old, who has Down syndrome, and you were escorted out? Great. It's, why? It's sickening. I was challenging the, the things that they were doing. They tried to put her on a ventilator right away. day two. Wow. Um, they, they didn't have accurate measurements going on with the oxygen sat. So there's a, a whole number of things that I challenged, and ultimately they killed the messenger by escorting me out of the building. So then she's in there for a few days. Then yep. what was the treatment protocol? Jessica, your other daughter, was in with her much of the time. Right. Then Jessica came in, so I was, <clears throat> I was kicked out on Sunday morning. Jessica was able to stay for a few hours on Monday afternoon, the entire day on Tuesday. Wednesday the 13th was Grace's last day. We had um, received a call from the doctor on the 12th. That's... Uh, the day before Grace died in the evening, wanting us to make a decision on a ventilator, not because Grace needed it. And this was the fifth time they pushed the ventilator. Wow. And so they, they wanted us to make a decision on the ventilator, and they couched it in the idea that these type of things tend to happen in the middle of the night when we can't get a hold of anyone. So they wanted to have this decision in their back pocket. Wow. Grace never even came close to needing a ventilator. Um, but they pushed, that was the fifth time. Then he called the morning of the 13th, Grace's last day, asking for a decision. And we said, no, we're not going to do a ventilator. Wasn't she improving at that point? She was improving in spite of the treatment protocol. They had her on a drug called Presidex to <laughs> sedate her, and she was still improving. Uh, the, the meds we'll go into right at the mm -hmm. end, and I'll explain. But ultimately then, um, because of... Grace's Grace's improving and the need for nutrition. We decided at, at the doctor's recommendation to have her do a feeding tube the last day. Um, then they kept ratcheting up the the Presidex, and by the end of the day, they had her on Presidex, Lorazepam, and then gave her the lethal dose of morphine all within a 29-minute time period. What was the purpose of the morphine? The doctor called us at 6.45 p.m., Grace's last day, and said that he had just given her morphine. And so I asked why, and he said because she was breathing at 51 breaths per minute. If you just process what happened, she was breathing at 51 breaths a minute because of the other drugs they were gave, giving her. So she's breathing at 51 breaths a minute. They give her the morphine. Um, Grace died at 7:27. So, f less than 45 minutes after we got off the phone with the doctor, she died. 
during that window, then Jessica called us because after they administered the morphine, the um, Grace started feeling cold and Jessica knew there was something wrong. She couldn't get anybody in the room. She ultimately gets us on FaceTime. Now we're watching all of this where oh. the the nurses would not come in the room. They stood outside. It was shift change, so Jessica estimated there's about 30 nurses out there. And we're we're telling them, you know, they're screen, they're telling us she's DNR. We're saying she's not DNR. Save her. DNR, do not resuscitate. That's something that the family must decide. And doesn't something have to be signed or I know at least verbally authorized, but you never did that, did you? We never did that. And if you look at state statute and in some of the documents I put together, I, I reference all the state statutes involved that they violated. They violated um, having us sign an order. They violated the state statute requiring a, um, a bracelet. And then they violated the state statute that says that even if there was a DNR order, it can be um, removed orally by the uh, guardian or power of attorney just saying to remove it, which we did. Mm-hmm. And they would not, you know, at that point, they could have administered a reversal drug for morphine and saved Grace's life, but they chose to stand in the hall wow. and just rely on the doctor's order in the computer that said Grace's DNR. Wow. So this all happened. Do you want to go to those? Uh, you, last time you were with us here in the studio, you explained that on the warning labels, the black boxes on these drugs, there is a warning of never using certain combinations of drugs, using morphine with other things. Could you briefly explain, explain sure. that? Sure, yes. on, the, on the morphine black <clears throat> box label. So if you consider it, there's a, for every drug, there's a um, thing called the package insert, which are the rules of engagement that whoever administers the drug is supposed to follow. And on the first page of the morphine package insert, there's a black box warning label. That's the most serious you can get. And it says to not use this in combination with um, two classes of drugs. And both classes, in fact, they used with grace. So lorazepam is in one of the classes, Presidex is in the other class, that it, it says right in the black box label that it can cause death. And then in the other warning label on the same package insert, it says that if you administer morphine, you're supposed to have the reversal drug readily available to administer because these these side effects are known. You can't just administer morphine and walk out of the room, but that's what they did. So, Scott, uh, briefly, why do you think they ignored the morphine warning labels, like the warnings on the package inserts? Uh, either either it's incompetence and they don't didn't know about them or they didn't know to look for the warning labels or they knew what it would do and they did it against your will. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So what I believe happened is that there's a a purposeful agenda to take out a certain portion of our population. That's what I've come to believe. Um, Dr. Elizabeth Valit has um, promoted that idea, I think, truthfully. Um, she references uh, Dr. Ezekiel Emanuel. Rahm Emanuel's uh, brother, I believe. Who, who uh, was in the Obama administration has mm-hmm. now followed through to the Biden administration. This is who's advising the people in charge and they want to pare down the population. So you look at people that are on Medicaid, which Grace was because she was disabled, she had Down syndrome, and then you look at people on Medicare, so that's the elderly, mm. um, and the, it's called the complete life system. That's what these elites have bought into, and that's, that's what I believe happened with Grace. This is not just some dad making up something if just this last weekend i listened to a a podcast put out by dr artis he had an attorney from the uk on and she connected the dots that they're one step ahead of us with this in the uk what they're doing in the uk is they are instead of using remdesivir they're using um, one of the drugs in the benzo category and morphine and they're doing that actively. Mm. Um, and then they've given the 
certain organizations in the UK carte blanche to issue DNR orders. So they're doing what we experienced with Grace. Wow. They're doing it actively in the UK. Yep. And I think it's going under the radar here. Yep. And we have to take a break. What happens in the UK doesn't stay in the UK. And this is a global plan, you guys. We've talked about the climate alarmists and those who would push climate change in this global system. They do want to limit the population. And they're going to do that in ways that we would not approve of. But we're going to talk about how did the love of money play into this tragic case? Also, the hospital was investigated and the doctor, did they do anything wrong? More with Scott Shera when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. I made a mistake yesterday, <laughs> and I'm first to admit it. I quoted, I uh, misquoted um, Ephesians chapter 5, and I said it was Ephesians chapter 4. But Ephesians chapter 5 that I quoted yesterday, verse 15 Um, So then be careful how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of your time. I mentioned redeeming the time, friends. Why? Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That's Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 17. And a couple of verses before that, it says, uh, The fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. As you try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord, verse 11, do not participate in the useless deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. Ephesians 5, 11, what we are doing here is exposing deeds of darkness. Is this one man's opinion? No, because we've heard it happening across the country and around the world, but we're just dealing with America. This is not one man's opinion. Many, uh, tens of thousands, who knows, countless families have gone through something similar, maybe in different ways. The ventilator has been a huge uh, thing in, in this chaos. But we're going through this. What we're trying to do is expose any darkness. One aspect of darkness is greed, and that would be the love of money. You know what the Bible says about that? Money is not necessarily evil because we wouldn't be on the air without your donations. But the love of money, when you put money as an idol, as number one in your life, you're going to do things that would sacrifice integrity, truth, just to get money. Not you personally, but people do that. So the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, the Bible says. So let us not be naive. Let us recognize that the healthcare system is not perfect. It's run by imperfect, and I would say a lot of sinful people. A lot of people in government who do not have your best interests at heart and who are not saved, who do not not have a biblical worldview, and they say if they can get more money for their particular hospital or organization or um, pharmaceutical company, don't you think they will try to make more money if that's one of the top priorities in their lives, in their worldview? Yes. So we've got to break it down like that and understand. But how did the love of money— play into this tragic case. Scott Shera, um, you studied a little bit about the Ascension Health System, and you exposed a little bit of darkness there. And you answered the question, was the culture of pursuing money over patient care the cause of Grace's death? I, I can't answer that. Only God knows. Uh, I certainly have put together some numbers that show that that would be the case, and we can walk through those now. You know, the, this um, push for the ventilators, we can maybe springboard into that, that idea from the push for the ventilators because mm-hmm. the ventilators are the big payday, and people don't believe it. Yep. There is a believability factor in this where, um, so a story I shared off air, a man called me after the, he, he tracked me down through our pastor after the last time I was here and asked me if I would call his cousin because her dad was, in the hospital at St. Elizabeth's and was going to be put on a ventilator in the next mm. 24 hours. And so I, I called his cousin. She called me back, and I spent 10 minutes on the phone just convincing her that this is real. Because remember, people have heard, you know, the whole country was making ventilators. 
They don't know ventilators are bad. When you get on a ventilator, you only have a 15% chance of walking out of the hospital. He didn't say 50. He said 15, 10 plus 5. 85% of people put on ventilators end up dying. Is that correct? That's right. And so I was able to convince her to you know, not only not allow the ventilator, but get him out of there. You know, the, the ventilator would, the ventilator is a killer. And the hospital has a approximately a $300,000 payday once they put somebody on a ventilator. They get a government bonus. The person gets classified as ICU. And then they end up, the average time in the hospital is 22 days. Wow. Do they get money per day if someone's in the ICU? They get a bonus per day. Government money, right? So that's, money. that's really our tax money, people. <laughs> so indirectly, yeah. correct? Exactly. And the average amount for a COVID patient, the average is $100,000 per COVID patient in government bonus money. And this is where, if you connect the dots with Grace, they were only making or billing $1,680 a day. I shouldn't say billing. They billed more than that. They received $1,680 a day for Grace um, because of the fact that we wouldn't allow any of these other things that they wanted to do. So Grace was way under the average. So they weren't making enough money off of Grace. Well, I mean, it, it's clear that they weren't. I can't, again, I can't judge the motive. Yeah. Well, you mentioned something too, and I don't want to get sidetracked here, but uh, the believability, let's just make that point, understand that a lot of people still can't believe that this is happening. Not the fact that there's a virus unleashed by China, whoever else, for evil purposes, but the virus is real. But the fact how it's being handled and how it's being used, the crisis, crisis that the globalists and the, the government is using to inflict control, pain, so that we will just comply. Now, as the U.S. population gets wise to remdesivir, combined with staffing concerns related to doctors and nurses leaving because of refusing to take the, the shot. Now, this is an ethical situation here. We've got hospital staffs that are short, short-staffed across the country, this plays into the care that they are allowed to give or told to give patients. Can you briefly touch on that? Yes. Uh, I just read an article that this is before the mandate for healthcare workers that they have to get the shot. The, through COVID, the healthcare workers have already uh, left to the tune of 30%. So they're operating on 70% capacity, and now they're have the shot mandate, which means more people are going to leave. So, so let's pause right there. Hold that thought. So when we hear the panic porn in the mainstream media that the hospitals are understaffed, is that just because of COVID or is it because of their decisions to leave or to, if they didn't take the vaccine, they're, they have to resign. It's not just the virus and patients coming into the hospital with COVID. Hospitals are not, are not overflowing the entire hospital. With COVID patients is, is, is the point. That's correct. I mean, in the article, they said 18% uh, quit, 12% were laid off. So mm -hmm. connect the dots. Why wow. would they lay off healthcare workers? Well, if they don't follow the protocols, they're going to get laid off. In the middle of a pandemic, they're right. laying off people that... Yeah. And the 18% who quit, again, connect the dots. Those are the people who they can't stomach what they're watching. Wow. And this is another reminder friends, to pray for those in the healthcare industry. Those Most people, most people go into this profession wanting to do no harm, <laughs> wanting to help people. That's their code, right? The doctors do no harm. That's number one. Uh, but wanting to help people um, improve their health, save lives, uh, care for people when they come into the hospital. Most people go in for the right reasons. And imagine being faced with this dilemma that many of them are. Scott, go ahead and continue, please. So if we, I want to just drill down this situation that I, I found out with Ascension. Yes. So two Sundays ago, um, I sensed God getting me up early. So this time it was 3 a.m. And, and I just went to work on this. It was on, on my heart and, and started researching on the internet as far as what's, what's available for data. So I put together a, an entire uh, sheet on on the money situation. Well, one of the things that drives the money here is the, I mentioned before about the $100,000 average 
bonus payment for COVID patients. That hospitals receive, yeah. yes. So where that comes from is that the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, there's a group of whistleblowers that, you know, and every, you know, people are getting, you know, they can't take it. So these whistleblowers came out and documented it all. And there's a whole number of things. I mentioned about the, the bonus already for, uh, for the ventilator. Mm-hmm. They even have the coroners in on this. Why would a coroner get a bonus related to COVID? But it, it, they are. Wow. Anyway, when you take the $100,000 average, and now you drill this down um, for Ascension. So Ascension, as a hospital system, has 28,000 beds. Roughly 18% of the beds are COVID-related. So that's 5,040 beds. The beds turn over, the COVID beds turn over at an average of 22 days. So they get 16.6 turns of the beds per year, which means over a period of a year, they have 84,000 COVID patients. So now you multiply that 84,000 times the 100,000 average, wow. and they, they have received, this is in one year, $8.4 billion from the government in COVID bonuses. This is insane. And their cash position, I'll just think through this. They're a non-for-profit. Hospitals. They're a non-for-profit. Their cash position went up during the first year of COVID by $9 billion. Well, let's look at the, just from fiscal year 2020. Now, we're talking about one healthcare system, friends, the Ascension Health System, which you can find this information online. It's available. You researched right. it and found it out. So we're not you know, making these numbers up. In fiscal year 2020, their cash was $17 billion. Am I reading that right? You're reading it right. In 2021, it went up to $26 billion. And as you say, it's a $9 billion increase and um, due to COVID. But this is interesting. In, the, in red letters you have on this chart here, if COVID is cured or eradicated somehow, the free money stops flowing to hospitals in the healthcare system. That's right. We have to recognize that. This is hard to swallow, friends. I understand a lot of you are going, no way. Always expecting the best, right? We want to expect the best of people. Understand the love of money. Understand what I laid out at the beginning, that we are called to test all things, to expose the deeds of darkness, and recognize that not everybody is operating with integrity and the right motives when it comes to uh, the medical profession. So, Scott, anything else you want to add when we, we talk about this sheet uh, about the love of money in the uh, healthcare system? The thing that I would add is that the the hospitals have their pulse on on this. So, when Grace was taken out, the bed capacity at Saint Elizabeth's Hospital in Appleton was 100 percent. What is what does that mean? That means every single bed was taken. So again, I'm. You have to judge on for your own. But when Grace and I were in the emergency room, we waited ten hours for a room to open up. Okay, so now they're at full capacity. This these bed numbers, there's they have them all available by week, every single week of the year for every hospital. So when I found this, I thought, well, this this connects the dots for me mm-hmm. because we have a patient in Grace that they're only making $1,680 a day. They're stacked up like cordwood in the emergency room. Um, you know, you, again, you be the judge, but when this, there is so much money involved here, mm. um, and they've been doing this for so long. I heard many times when I was Grace's advocate in the hospital, we've been doing this for two years. Well, they've been doing the same thing for two years over and over, and they don't change. They just keep killing people. Uh, isn't that kind of like the, the definition of insanity? If you know you're doing things over and over and expecting different results. Exactly. <laughs> well, we've been doing this for two, yeah, but it's not working. Um, so one one final point, and we talked about this last time you were on the podcast with us. Um, for every death, uh, COVID related, is is the correct amount a hospital receives thirteen thousand dollars? That's correct. Okay. Um, how many people have died now in America? Uh, is it is it 700,000? It's over 800,000. 800,000. Right. So hospitals for each death that's a tagged COVID, even some that weren't really COVID, uh, $13,000. So Scott, uh, 
do you want to go into the uh, allocation of care next or the do not resuscitate because people want more information on that? What would you like to tackle um, next? The, I, I actually think what we should do is, is go into this decision by the state. Okay. Um, because I think that's, that's pretty important. So, okay, so let's jump right to this. We've only got three minutes left in this segment, so we'll continue after the break. But basically, the hospital determined that they did nothing wrong. Explain. Yeah, it wasn't the hospital. So we sent oh, a the complaint. Government. Yeah, so we sent two complaints, uh, one about the hospital, and um, we don't have a decision on that complaint yet. But the other one was to the Wisconsin Department of Safety and Professional Services. This was against Dr. Shokar, who was the one who administered the or ordered the administration of the meds and the DNR order. So we filed a complaint uh, with Wisconsin Department of Safety and Professional Services against them. Um, the letter dated January 20th just received this. Um, it says that the panel that investigated, so I'll just read it right off the letter, the screening panel was made up of members of the regulatory authority for the profession and or a department attorney. So it was their own staff. Their own people. Yep, investigated the doctor. So this is, you know, in my opinion, the hospitals are doing the government's bidding. So now you have the government investigating those who are doing their bidding. And of course, their conclusion was he did nothing wrong. Well, we've heard your story in, in maybe more depth and detail than a, lot, than a lot of people have. And we're convinced that something went wrong. Something is not right. Somebody's culpable. Um, whether it's the protocol, the system, the administrators at the hospital, the doctor, or those that just refused to give Grace any care when uh, she was labeled DNR, when you never approved that. There's so much to this case. Um, so on the bottom, you write, unbelievable, the doctor who ordered the lethal dosage of meds did nothing wrong, according to the internal investigation. And um, you clearly stated, again, I want to emphasize, this is the result of government investigating government. They in investigated their own s people in their own system. Um, is, if there's anything else you want to point out from that and what your next step is, let's do that on the other side of this break. And then we'll talk a little bit more about do not resuscitate. People need to know that when their loved ones go into the hospital. People need to know some of the legal ramifications here, which you have researched and put together thoroughly. More with Scott Shera when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Our guest is Scott Shera. We are going through this information that he has put together and the investigation into the death of his daughter that we believe is medical malpractice, um, uh, negligence. There are so many words you can use to describe it. Um, what is the next step for you, Scott? You've got this decision in this particular complaint that you filed, what is your next step? And then let's talk about the DNR. So, you know, the the decision was expected. It wasn't what we hoped for, but it was expected. Um, the next step is not what people would think. You would think that the the step is to sue them for malpractice. Uh, that becomes an impractical step for a couple reasons. One is that our state statutes don't allow a claim because Grace was an adult. You can't make this up. So um, oh with an adult, uh, there's no claim for loss of companionship. And so then the next claim would be for medical malpractice. And for medical malpractice, we talk to what, who we believe is the best malpractice attorney in the state. And he said, even with slam dunks, like this appears to be, there's only a one in 10 chance because the doctors circle the wagons. And what does that mean? That means that they protect their own. So, you know, they're big. Think about Ascension. They have a whole team of attorneys that are yeah. just waiting to protect yeah. their own. I mean, you can't, how are you going to beat somebody with 26 billion in the bank? Mm. You know, it isn't, it isn't possible. And this attorney said, said that in fact, he said, you're, you're really wasting your, your money. Mm. Anyway, the, um, that all gets trumped 
because of the CARES Act. So the, the CARES Act, this is just interesting. So CARES, they come up with these acronyms, right? right? So it's care, it makes no sense with what you see. They're not caring at all. But the CARES <laughs> Act, um, that through the CARES Act, the PREP Act was instituted. And on February 4th of 2020, the PREP Act basically put in place the impossibility of malpractice because they said that the only time that there is a claim is if the injury or death was caused by willful misconduct. So we'd have to prove the intent was to kill, Mm. and that authority precludes state statute. So we're not doing anything legally. What we're doing, so what are we doing? We're trying to have use Grace. Grace is a great poster child. She's a great kid. She's she's just the perfect person to get the word out. Mm. And so that's what we're doing. I mean, I, I have fortunately, uh, the team I have at work, they're they're doing everything. Mm. And so I'm able to Praise almost God. do this full time now Praise and God. work on getting the word out. And um, a little teaser to our audience, a website is on the way. Yes. We won't mention it yet, but there is a website and there will be a lot of this information and more and possibly a uh, page on that website where you can go and enter your own uh, experience uh, with the hospital or, or through COVID. And by the way, this action uh, was taken February 4, 2020. Um, and this is under the um, doctors being immune from liability. Interesting. Uh, just because of COVID, all of a sudden, oh, let's let's make sure that they're that our people are covered, right? Exactly. February 4, 2020, state immunity. You've got in Haas, in Wisconsin, limits uh, liability claims to $750,000 to ensure affordable health care. And that's been in place for 16 years, though. Um, then let's, let's, so let's go on. Let's go back to uh, the DNR and the, uh, talk about the allocation of care and, and uh, just talk, talk through this, Scott, because people don't think that they're going to have to deal with this unless it's an elderly uh, family member. They don't think they're going to have to deal with DNR. Right. So so just walk us through this, please. Yeah, this is this is maybe the most surprising thing. I mean, they were able to deliver the combination of meds they did uh, without having us involved at all, even though my wife was power of attorney. I mean, we had no knowledge that they were were doing this. Wow. And and when Jess and I were advocates, I mean, they're doing all of these things. And, you know, you can only challenge what you see, but, you know, they're administering drugs the the entire time. Um, so this DNR was really a shocker because the the way they did this is in direct violation of state statute. So all of this is under Wisconsin statute section 154, if you want to look it up. So specifically, the do not resuscitate order must be in writing and signed by the patient, guardian, or healthcare agent. Oh, my goodness. And in your case, it clearly wasn't. It was not. So, I mean, it's... It's an obvious violation. Wow. Um, so then another, this is again all under the same statute. Um, the desire of the patient to be resuscitated always supersedes the DNR. So a patient can override their own DNR, which is logical. You change your mind, right? If you change mm-hmm. your mind, you can do that. Well, Grace wasn't in a position to change her, her mind because they had her sedated. Oh, and my Grace goodness. didn't. Grace, as an adult, could have signed the paper. She didn't sign the paper either. Um, the hospital was fully aware that we were power of attorney. When I was still the advocate, they asked me for the power of attorney documents, which I emailed them mm-hmm. right while I was in the hospital with Grace. So they had our power of attorney documents on file. Wow. It wasn't that from lack of knowledge. Um, and then the the final piece that they violated was, again, I'm reading out of the statute, a yes. guardian or healthcare agent which was my wife in this case, may revoke a do not resuscitate order by giving direction to resuscitate the patient. Giving which direction. We, you were verbally, we you were shouting at them in, in Grace's last moments there, last hours in the hospital. And I know, uh, Scott, I see on your face right now, which doesn't translate into radio, uh, you're, you're feeling this pain all over again, this emotion of being in those last moments when you were feeling helpless is the best way to describe it when you were saying please help our daughter we did not give the dnr um if this you is, could just help a lot of people know what you're experiencing just share your thoughts right now well this is tough stuff mm-hmm. 
you know, we watched her die on FaceTime. Jessica was there, watched her die, and you can't do anything. Mm. They could have, they could have saved her, but they chose to. They chose to not do it. You know, you can't, you can't get there. I mean, the, the only, the only saving grace in this is, you know, God is sovereign. Mm-hmm. So you know, we trust that He has a bigger plan, and and uh, I, I have, over this last. Uh, over this last week and a half, I've really started to believe in that bigger plan more than ever. I, I don't know where this goes, but I, yeah. my sense is Grace's, Grace's death will not be in vain. No, already it's not. It's helping a lot of people. Scott, speak to those. You just mentioned God's sovereignty. Um, this is still so fresh. It's only been a few months, and you've been pouring your heart into this. Speak to those who have lost loved ones. And maybe they're beating themselves up for not knowing some of this, for allowing their loved one to be put on a ventilator or allowing certain protocols to be carried out at a hospital and their loved one maybe way, 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 way too young, maybe someone in their 30s, 40s, 50s, speak to those who are really feeling bad about their decision or their lack of knowledge at the time. Well, I'll speak from the point of view that I'm walking through the same thing as you. Um, Several nights a week, I get up in the middle of the night, and I just, you know, you replay every day. What should I have done? I missed this. I missed that. Why do we do a feeding tube? Um, all these things go through your mind, and, you know, Satan wants us there. He mm. wants us to dwell in that spot yes. so you can't, you can't do anything. Um, God wants us free of that. So, you know, if you did something wrong, he wants you to repent. If you didn't do something wrong... Um, God wants us to turn it over to him so that we get our mind and our hearts back focused on on the walk. He he will walk this walk with us through this. Um but it it is tough. I mean, I would say emotionally I'm only at about 50% now. Mm. Um the 50% where I'm on is when I'm walking with him. The 50% where I'm not is when um you know, I start dwelling on these these mistakes and you know I miss my I miss my little buddy yeah um a lot of people have gone through something maybe not exactly the same in details and circumstances but similar as far as a loved one being in the hospital possibly dying way too young and what I would encourage them to do if if you know someone like that if you're listening right now you know someone like that that's really having a hard time getting over this do what Scott is doing, allow God to use your story to teach and, and help others to prevent more of this from happening and to raise awareness about some of these facts that most people, I would say, are completely unaware of. I don't want to say ignorant, but some people are unaware. Scott, let's move on. Um, we, we briefly went over the allocation of care and talked about that about the COVID protocol hospital physicians must follow, which is in lockstep across the U.S. You mentioned uh, uh, Dr. Ezekiel Emanuel, who, boy, don't even want to get into that. But um, these are decisions that come down from the higher authorities than the local hospital. But there is a possible hospital decision matrix that you put together. Um, Do you want to touch on that and then talk about the COVID protocol? Sure. So the decision matrix, um, I <clears throat> alluded to this before when I had suggested that elderly patients and disabled patients are um, are being rationed, which means essentially taken out. Um, but there's also another decision matrix that we've heard many, many stories about, and that's whether you're vaccinated or not. Yeah. So likely everybody's heard of the the Scott Coiner story. Refresh our memories on that. So he he was um, by court order taken out of a Minnesota hospital, flown to Texas, um, and you know, fortunately, the public got behind it, and that's what motivated the hospital to to follow the wife's wish wishes. Mm. Uh, he ended up passing away on Saturday, um, but ultimately, he wasn't vaccinated. He was told by hospital staff that they hoped that he died because he wasn't vaccinated. Um, in Grace's case, we, we saw this in the doctor's reports. They made a 
so the doctors read a report every single day, every doctor that was in Grace's room, and we saw the bias in the reports. And so there was a bias against vaccination with Grace. They One doctor specifically wrote that if Grace was vaccinated, she wouldn't be here. So, and so there's, there's which, a, which there's no way of knowing or proving that. Well, it's, it would be actually the opposite. If you, if you study the numbers, the, the vaccinated people are having more hospital stays than the unvaccinated. If you look at the number, if you study the numbers, if you try to research what the media is not reporting. So Grace was unvaccinated. And, uh, you know, Jan Markell, we had her on the podcast just a couple of days ago, Friday. And she says we are unfortunately now living in a two-tiered society, not Christians and non-Christians, not Republicans and Democrats, but vaccinated and unvaccinated. This is the two tiers now, which is causing so many issues. We've only got three minutes left. This went by so fast this hour, Scott. So let's go to the COVID protocol. You really laid this out really neatly in a chart, very easy to read. Person gets COVID, they're evaluated. um, And then go ahead and just walk us through some of the main points in this and the decisions that they could go. Sure. I put this together because I was having a hard time understanding how could the hospital even get to the point of what they did. So... They, what I think happens is they, they work on convincing you to get in the hospital and then they lock in the, the protocol that the government wants them to do because that's where the paydays are. Mm. Then the next step is once they've got you in there, they work on the ventilator opportunity. And if they are able to convince you of the ventilator, I mean, that becomes the short-term goal, but ultimately then they keep you in the hospital room as long as they can of course, conditioned on how many patients are waiting. Then if you're, if you're not convinced of going on a ventilator, now you fall into one or two classifications. Are you elderly or disabled? And if you are, now they, they start. So they did this with, with Grace as they started talking about comfort care with us. And wow. Cindy and I were wondering, why are they talking about comfort care? We're not even going down that road. But yeah. they started that early on. Wow. So again, you see, this is why I put this together because I had to make sense of it. Because she was not vaccinated. Well, I don't know that for sure. But I mean, you just look at this. So now they're starting this comfort care discussion. Grace is improving. It makes no sense. Why are they talking about that? And then if the the other leg of that diagram is if the person isn't elderly or disabled now they just walk through the the government protocol if the person improves obviously they get out um, and if they don't improve so for example why wouldn't somebody improve well if they put them on remdesivir there's lots of stories of young people in their 30s and 40s yep. that got on remdesivir um, that has you know in the neighborhood of a 50 percent kill rate and so then they start walking through that same comfort care discussion because they know what the end game is. they yeah. got to turn the bed over. Scott, I wish we had a little bit more time, but we didn't get to what can we do. Uh, I just want to go through your bullet points. Become educated, repent of relying on man versus God, and then pray. And you shared some scriptures. Uh, maybe we can put that in the notes today. Make sure you're praying not only for against the enemy, but make sure you're praying for government for hospital people that they would be saved they would be convicted if they're doing wrong um scott thank you for your time god bless you brother on this journey thank you tomorrow you'll hear from nathan jones lamb and lion ministries jb hickson the good doctor from colorado on thursday tony garule radical truth will be with us on friday god bless you and as always keep speaking the truth about things that matter